Awesome. Well, we are in Habakkuk chapter 2, so let me, just by way of uh, catching us up where we've been, Habakkuk is this prophet of God that 2,600 years ago uh, had seen God's people go hard after God and, and, and then seen God's people turn their back on God and just go hard after idolatry and other things. And, and Habakkuk, uh, because he desires to see God's glory fill the earth, is crying out to God and he says, I don't understand why you let this happen. And then, uh, so we, we just saw in that there's, there's times where God's not going to make sense to us and, and we can cry out to God and God gives us the permission to do that. And, and as he continues to cry out, God says, okay, I'm going to answer you, but uh, you see uh, only a very small point. If you, if you were to zoom out far enough, you would see that, that I am working all things for, for my glory and for your good. But in this moment, it's going to sound even worse I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to, to come and, and be an instrument of judgment against my people Israel. And so uh, Habakkuk, again, is just like, you're right. The cure is worse than the disease. How is that even possible, God? And, and he's wrestling with God. And, uh, and as he's laid his heart out, he's, he's cried out to God and, and put it all before God. That's where we uh, find ourselves uh, today. And, and today, really, in, in chapter 2, in verse 4 in particular, it is, you probably didn't know this, or maybe you did if you're well taught, uh, the, the cornerstone verse of the entire Bible. Like everything, every sermon I've ever given and every sermon I will ever give in some way, shape, or form is coming out of Habakkuk 2, 4. And it is this question that comes to Habakkuk. It's a question that comes to Abraham and to Moses and Joshua and, and, and throughout God's people. And, and it's the question Jesus often puts to his followers. And it's simply this, in, in, in different ways, shape, or form, is, will you trust me? God is saying, will you trust me when, when everything is going well for you? Will you trust me when, when everything is, is uh, not working out as you had hoped, will you still trust me? Will you trust me in your, with your every area of your life? Now, here's the deal. None of us are there. Like all of us on this side of eternity have areas where we're like, I think I trust you here, but uh, I'm having some issues here. And so we're all on a journey. No one here perfectly trusts God all the time. But the question to God's people throughout the Bible is this, will you trust me? And that's what's going to uh, be put before, uh, before us and before Habakkuk one more time today as he's laid out his request to God, as he's poured out his heart to God. He's now uh, given everything. Now he's going to, in faith, he's going to look for God to answer him. And so that's where we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. We're only going to do the first four verses here this morning. But as I read, listen carefully. This is God's word. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me and, I will, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So the picture is that after he's poured out everything before God, he, he's going spiritually in, in a way up to the tower on the wall and he's looking out on the horizon of his life and he's saying, I, I'm going to look with expectation. I'm going to look with faith that God, you, you're going to come and, and answer me. And so uh, now that I've told you everything and I've, I've made all my complaints, all my laments, I'm going to wait for God. And so that's when God comes and, and answers him. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain 
on tablets. He's saying, write this down, Habakkuk. It's going to happen. Don't just write it on a skull, uh, scroll. Carve it into stone. This will happen. Now, it may not seem like it's going to happen, and it may not seem like I'm at work in the world, but carve it in a stone because it's going to happen. So he may run who reads it, for still the vision, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. I will not delay. So God says, look, again, if you could only see things from my perspective, from an eternal perspective, you know this is a rock-solid promise. It will happen. But in your life, it may seem slow. It, it may seem like God is not answering or at work in your life. But, but God is assuring Habakkuk, surely it will come. And then he does this compare and contrast. And before we get to that, I, I just want to remind us of last week, part of that vision, which was in verse 14, it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, so right away, we, we know that this is a rock solid promise that a day is coming when the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Like it's going to happen, even if it seems like the nations are raging and it seems like the whole world is going away from God. God is saying, no, I'm actually using all that for my glory and for your good. But then he, he gives this comparison. He's going to compare two kinds of people. Two kinds of people that are in this room. Uh, two kinds of people that maybe sometimes we s spend time in, in both camps. He says this. Uh, on the one hand, he's speaking specifically of Nebuchadnezzar, the, the leader of the Babylonians. But on the other hand, he's talking just in general. Verse 4. Behold, his soul, that's Nebuchadnezzar's, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And so he says there's two kind of people. There's the puffed up person. So last week we said, uh, if you are uh, just to, to realize it, the, the wildly unpopular message last week, and, and maybe it's the snow or just because of the message last week, but uh, this message that you're not that great. You're not that smart. You're not that powerful. Like the, the, the people with the most degrees after their name, they, they actually have very limited knowledge. The people that are the strongest in the Olympics are actually very limited in their ability to accomplish things. And, and the message last week was you're incredibly limited in scope, in, in ability, in knowledge, in, in, in what God is doing. God is uh, doing 10,000 things. You might be aware of one or two of them in your life. And in every way possible, we are limited. I mean, do all the CrossFit you want and eat all the kale you want. But it, from the perspective of eternity, you've got about this long to live. You might stretch it out a little bit. And if we compare each other in these things, then we can feel pretty good. But when the standard is God and his, his power and authority and majesty and glory, and we begin to compare the two, we, we first feel a little bit sad. We're limited. But if you can rest in that limitation, then all of a sudden there's joy to be found you get to realize that we're limited, but he is not. Uh, we don't know what's going on in our kids' lives, but he knows what's going on. We don't know what's happening be behind us and before us and, and tomorrow and the next day, but God knows it all. And so there was an invitation to rest in this. But he said, there's a, there's a kind of man who's puffed up. There's a kind of person that thinks they are powerful. There's a kind of person who thinks they do know and they have no need of God. Now, now that... That is true not only uh, 
outside. That is not only true for the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. That, that's not only true for outside these walls. That, that is very true in, in the church. In the New Testament, we, we see the, the puffed up man being called the, the scribe and the Pharisee, the religious leader. These people were puffed up. Their knowledge of God and their ability to follow God was so, uh, so um, fueled their pride that they thought they had no real need of God except for him to make much of them. And so they were puffed up. And, and churches are full of puffed up people. And, and so just want to say that right away, that, that, that some there, you, you may be puffed up. That just because you're here does not mean that you are a, a, a child of God. does not mean that you have a saving faith. And so he compares the person who is trusting in themselves, trusting in their righteousness, trusting in their knowledge, trusting in their moral accomplishments as puffed up. But then the verse that is the cornerstone verse, the second half of that, we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But the second half of the verse is what we want to focus on today. It says, but, his, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, again, you maybe have never heard a sermon on Habakkuk, uh, but uh, you may, that, that might sound familiar. That, that, that might ring like I've, I've heard that verse before. Uh, it should because several times in the New Testament, that verse, word for word, that part of the verse, word for word, is going to be quoted as the basis for, our, uh, for everything that we do. It, it, Paul's going to quote it twice. We're going to look at that. The book of Hebrews is going to quote it. But really, the rest of the, the Bible, the rest of the New Testament is going to come back and, and somehow spring out of Habakkuk 2.4. And, and we're going to see that this faith, the, the words order in the Hebrew is the righteous or the justified man by his faith will live. And, and understanding what it means by faith uh, and understanding what it doesn't mean by faith is the key for us. And so this foundational uh, verse in the, in the whole Bible is going to guide our time. And so we're kind of going to do a survey. I'm going to be like a, a Baptist minister on espresso this morning. I'm going to have all sorts of verses up here. It's going to be crazy. Just buckle up. The verses will be up on, on, the, on the screen. But um, it's this call to live by faith. We, we all live by faith. And it's not just, it's not just for the, the religious person that lives by faith. Every one of us exercise faith here. Now, I may have taken more faith this morning than, than otherwise, but I'm still guessing none of you checked your brake lines this morning. Like, you, you don't go out and, like, kind of pump your brakes on the way down. Maybe you did because of the ice, but not because of your brake lines. You exercised faith, and every time you get in your car, you, you, you're exercising a, a kind of active trust in your brake lines. Or, or the chairs that you're sitting in now, I, I noticed no one came and kind of looked at them and said, is this going to hold me up? And, uh, but, but we've probably all had an experience in some way, shape, or form where our, our friends took the chair out from under us, or uh, maybe it was a plastic chair that got brittle and did break. But 99.99% but of the time, when you sit in the chair, you exercise faith in the chair, and, and you don't even think about it. So, so we exercise faith in a million different ways as humans every day. And so we exercise faith in the U.S. government. We exercise faith in our bank account. We exercise faith in, in just so many things. It's not just for the religious people. In fact, I'm going to argue that even if you're an atheist, you, you have far more faith than probably the majority of people in this room. 
So, so you're believing that there is an uncaused cause to the universe, which is, will blow your mind if you start to think about that. And, and then uh, you believe that time plus chance plus evolutionary process gets us to this point. And I'm just saying, that's an incredible amount of faith. You're, you're believing that the scientific consensus of 2018 has arrived to a point that it's not going to change 20 years from now like it has in the rest of human history. Uh, you just are exercising faith in that. And so we all, as humans, we exercise faith all the time. And, and by contrast, the, the Christian faith is, is quite simple, not, not simplistic, but simple. We believe that God has revealed himself to us through his word and through his son, and that we can have relationship with him. That, that's a, a biblical faith. But biblical faith is not merely mental assent. Like, like I think and the next time the, cons- the census comes out, many people will, will mark Christian as their religious belief system. And if you ask them specifics about Christianity, they might say, yes, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. It's kind of like how I believe there are eight planets in the solar system. And I was growing up, there was nine planets in the solar system, but Pluto got kicked to the curb because it doesn't have enough mass or can't clear out its space. I was reading about that this week. It can't clear out its orbital space, so it doesn't qualify. So there's eight planets. Now, on, on a good night, you can see like Jupiter sometimes. I've seen some of the planets. I believe there are eight planets. It affects my life in no way, shape, or form. Tomorrow, they could come out and be like, actually, Pluto's back in. Well, thank God. But again, I'm just going to move on with my life. That's kind of a mental ascent. Yes, eight planets. And I think for millions and millions of Christians, that's, that's Christianity for them. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. Check, check, check. But but by and large, it's never going to affect my life. It's not going to affect the way that I, I live or treat or act or anything like that. I'm a Christian, and, and I'm just going to push back on that because this is such an important, it, it is the cornerstone of our faith, this verse and this idea. So we're going to ask some questions about faith. Why is faith so important? What is faith and how do we get it? And then finally, how do we live by, maintain, and even grow our faith. And so I want to look at some verses on the screen here. Just start. The first time uh, Habakkuk 2.4 is referenced is in the book of Romans. Romans is this letter by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and it is the greatest exposition of the gospel, what God has, has done in the world to save sinners that has ever been written. And in the beginning of the book of Romans, he, he it does his introductory, and then he gives a thesis. So if you're, if you're in school, you've got to write a paper, you write a thesis statement. And, and most scholars agree that this is the thesis statement of the entire book of Romans. And, and Paul puts it this way. Oh, you took it down. Come back with me. There we are. For I, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now that word believe is pisteo. It can be translated everyone who trusts, everyone who has faith. So it's the same word. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So there's the quoting of Habakkuk 2.4 you see all of a sudden. But Paul goes to Habakkuk 2.4 to set up the thesis statement of the book of Romans, which you could say is the, the cornerstone book of the entire New Testament. And he says this, the reason faith is so important is because it's the only way you can be right with God. 
It's not through effort. It's not through observing the law. It's, it's what you were created for. It's what will make your, you live forever in glorious eternity with God and, and the saints that are rescued. It is how we are. The, the, the theological term is justified. We, we, we have justification before God. So Paul says this is huge. In fact, we're in this room today, not in a Catholic church because Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was uh, wrestling with God and he was uh, trying to earn God's favor. And he would, he would follow the Augustinian order as far as it could go. And he, he, would, he would fast and he would beat himself and he would, he would do all these things to somehow show God he loved God. And then finally he, he was able to teach the book of Romans. And when he came to Romans 1, hey, you took it off again. When he came to Romans 1... <laughs> Uh, sorry, see, I'm a little sick. It's 17. Uh, he, he, it says he pounded on this verse. And all of a sudden he realized all of his effort and all of his striving, uh, that, that, that meant nothing, that, that a right standing with God was possible by faith, but by trusting in Jesus. And so it frees us from the curse of the law. This is where Paul's going to quote it the second time, Galatians 3. It says, for we who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, let me just pause there. Galatians was this church that had, by faith, received Jesus, had experienced grace and mercy of God, but then others had come in and said, now you need to do a bunch of works. You need to follow the law. And Paul is pushing back against that. He's like, no, no. Why would you go back to the curse of the law when you have faith? And so that's what he says. He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide all the things written in the book of the law and do them. He says, so unless you're going to do that perfectly, you're cursed. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. He quotes Habakkuk 2.4 again. Because this is cornerstone to our, our belief system. We, we don't believe that God is happy with us because we uh, arrived in church today. We don't believe God somehow gives us more favor because we, we give or we pray or we fast. We believe that all of our righteousness, all of our hope comes from trusting in Jesus by faith. Uh, number three, without faith, there's no salvation, there's no hope, there's no pleasing God. And so uh, Hebrews 11.6 puts it this way. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So there are, there are only two times in the life of Jesus where it says, the scriptures say that Jesus was amazed, or your translation might say, and Jesus marveled. Both times it had to do with faith. Uh, one time you can read about a centurion who's either his son or, or a, a servant, depending on the, the, the book that you're reading, is sick. And, and he comes to Jesus, this Roman pigging Gentile who loves God's people and loves Israel, comes to Jesus and says, uh, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, all right, well, let's go. And the centurion's like, oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't need to come. Look, I'm a man of authority, but I understand you have far more authority than I do. I can say something and it gets done. You just say the word, Jesus, and I know my servant's going to be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith. And he says, I have not found such faith in all of Israel. He was amazed by this man's faith. The second time he was amazed 
was by someone's lack of faith. When he went to his hometown in Nazareth, it said that the people did not believe in him, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. They couldn't believe that this kid that grew up on their streets was, was the Messiah, was God, and so he moved on. Faith amazes God. Your faith this morning is amazing to God one way or the other. And so uh, that, that's why it's so important. It's, it's the way we please God. It's the way we have salvation. So let's define it. What, what is faith and how do we get it? The Bible gives us a definition actually in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's this assurance saying, like, I trust, I, I know, I believe. It's this word, uh, pisteo, uh, in, in the New Testament. Pisteo. Again, it doesn't mean mental assent. It, it means active trust. So you are exercising biblical faith, faith when you are actively trusting in Jesus. Now, w- w- let me give you an example of pisteo faith. Um, about 10 years ago, I, uh, we were... We flew to Thailand. I took a bunch of young leader guys in the military with me uh, to scope out some future mission trips we would take. And so we were serving in an orphanage and all week, and, and they did a great job. And at the last day, we decided to kind of take a vacation day in, in, the, in, in Chiang Mai, and we, we did some things. And, and these guys, young military guys, are like, we want to do bungee jumping. 160 feet over the jungle canopy in a developing country. That sounds like uh, what we want to do. And so uh, you got you to understand, I don't love heights. I don't like heights at all. Like uh, I'll be at the mall and I'll look over the railing and be like, that, that makes me feel bad. And because uh, I've had these dreams uh, several times. Like people are like, you can't die in your dream. No, I've died in my dream falling from the, the, the second floor in the mall, hitting the, the marble several times. And I've gone to my own funeral. So that's just bonus today. But we go to the, out in the jungle and we see this tower rise 160 feet above the canopy. And, and oh, great, it's over a, a snake-infested pond that you get to jump into uh, if you want. And so uh, I, I'm not liking this, but I'm with guys that I, you know, I know you know, this is going to be taken back to our church in Okinawa, so I'm just trying to have a brave face. And I go in there, and they've got pictures of, of all the people that have gone, and, and they've got a video showing people, and uh, some people were there before, and so I'm watching them jump in and, and get their head dipped in the nasty water, and, uh, and I'm like, this is not good. Um, so it's finally time to go, and they, they, wrap, your, they wrap your ankles and they take you up on this elevator. Now, I had, to, I had to wait for a couple of the guys to go first. I didn't want to go last because you don't want to be that guy. But I didn't want to go first either. I needed to make sure this was going to work out. And so they go. And finally, it's, it's my turn. And uh, you kind of ride this elevator up. And this other guy that's up there, he's got the coiled rope. And, and you have to, like, hop over to the edge. And, and I look down. And sure enough, the guys all have their cameras out. And they're all, and I don't like heights, okay? And so, but apparently I don't like being embarrassed more than heights because I wasn't about to pause in that moment and have video evidence of my cowardice. And so that's what they did. They, they, you get to the edge and, and they, they count out below and they say three, two, one, and you go head first and you go down. Now, at the point where I commit the center of my gravity over the edge, that's pisteo faith. Up until that point, 
I believed everything would work. I trusted, oh yeah, this is going to work. If I wanted to, I could have brought in like a mechanical engineer that said, hey, check out the bolts on this. I mean, this is a developing country. Uh, I I could have watched more and more people go. I could have interviewed people. I could have got all this information that would have helped me make my decision to activate my faith. But it wasn't until the point that the center of my gravity was over the edge that I was actively trusting the bungee cord. So the Bible says that's what faith is, is like in Jesus. So you don't have saving faith in Jesus if in no way, shape, or form you are actively trusting in Jesus. If you haven't said, you know more than I do, you're in control, you're God and I'm not, and so in this area of my life, in this relationship, in this job, with this bank account, whatever it is, if you haven't actively committed the center of your gravity to trusting Jesus, the Bible says you don't have saving faith. And so this is saving faith. But how do we get saving faith then? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He says, faith, faith is a gift from God. So if anyone here has pisteo faith, if anyone has put their trust in Jesus, guess what? Jesus gave that to you, and so therefore that should cause a demeanor in us of extreme humility, extreme gratitude. We should in no way be condescending or looking down on people that think, believe, or act different than us because we know, if we know the Bible, we know that was a gift of God's grace and mercy to us. There's nothing we could have done to earn it. There's nothing we could do. uh, to. There wasn't a moral rightness in us. There wasn't a a thought process that was better than our neighbors. It was a gift of God's grace. And so that should cause us to be humble. But what happens when we receive that gift? Well, a lot of things happen. (coughs) Excuse me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This great exchange happens on the cross where where all of Christ's righteousness gets credited to our account. That's called uh, justification. But something else happens. Expiation happens on the cross. So all of the the nastiness that, that our sin has created in us and all the nastiness that other people's sin has affected us by, on the cross, there, there is a healing expiation coming out. It all gets put on Jesus and his account gets credited to us so that, the, the, that all of your mistakes, all your, your, your uh, messing up and all of Paul's history and background, when God sees Paul, when God sees Mark Oshman, and when God sees you, if you've exercised faith, he sees perfection. He sees the perfection of Jesus. He, he sees Christ. And, and that's why, and the only reason why, you can have relationship with God. Because to have a relationship with God, you have to be perfect. And, and God is making it very clear. Look, you can't do this on your own. It has to come by grace through faith. And so this great exchange happens. And then the final question we want to answer here is, well, how do we live by it? It says the righteous by his faith will live. How do we live by it? How do we maintain it? How do we grow our faith? So you might be thinking, well, okay, I I feel a little nervous because my faith is kind of shaky. My faith 
is, is kind of small in some areas, and, and I feel like, I don't, I don't know. Well, the Bible repeatedly invites us to ask him for more. So there's this scene in, in the life of Jesus where uh, he's up on this mountainside with, with, his, this, with the big three, Peter, James, and John, and, and there's this transfiguration. When he comes down, there's an argument going on with scribes, his disciples, uh, and, and Jesus is like, what's up? It's in Mark chapter 9. And uh, this father comes forward and this father says, uh, they, they were trying to uh, cast out the demon of my son. My son has a demon. And uh, since he uh, was a little kid, uh, the demon throws him into the fire and the demon throws him into the water and, and tries to destroy him. But we're always there to kind of rescue him. And Jesus asks him, he says, um, so do you, want, do you want the demon gone? And, and the father says, yeah, I do. He says, well, all things are possible if you believe, if you have active trust in God. And in that moment, in Mark chapter 9, verse uh, 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's a, it's a prayer, it's a cry out to God that God loves to answer. He, he loves to answer that. Because aren't we all there in some way, shape, or form? Like, there's some areas in my life, being a follower of Jesus 24 years now, where I'm like, yeah, I got that. I can, it's like sitting in a chair for me. It's not hard for me. But then there's other areas of my life where I'm like, I, I, I feel white-knuckled on that thing. Uh, and I just, my prayer in that moment is, I believe, help my unbelief. Excuse me. <coughs> so... We can ask God for it. God invites us to ask for more. The other thing is that we just need to put ourselves under the waterfall of God's grace. How do we put ourselves under the waterfall of God's grace to receive more? Well, I think there's, there's, there's three ways that God loves to just pour out his grace to us. So, so we say God ordains the ends as well as the means. So the ends are who's God going to give the, the gift of faith to? Who is he going to save? But the means are, is how is he going to do that? What, what's the process that he's going to bring people to himself? What's the process that he's going to grow people up in the faith? And the Bible has a lot to say about that process. And, and he invites us to put ourselves under the stream of God's grace. The first stream of God's grace is this book, the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, 17 says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, so in, in Romans 10, he's arguing like, how are people, how are people going to get rescued and redeemed? And God says, well, God ha-, or Paul says, God has a means. And the means are the proclamation of the word of God. Just, just faith gets built when we sit under, when we, we, when we read, when we memorize, when we engage the word of God, our faith grows. That's why it's so important that we are creatures of the word, that we're shaped by the word, and we, we come and sit under the waterfall of God's grace, which is the word. And so we're going to constantly preach the word. We're going to constantly preach the gospel because we are forgetful people. We are in a spiritual battle. The Bible calls it the world, the flesh, and the devil. All of those things all week long are going to try to rob, steal, and kill, and destroy your joy and your faith. And so every sermon I give is, is not that unique. I'm just simply reminding us of what God has done for us in Jesus. And we're like, oh yeah, and our faith is strengthened, and it grows. 
Well, well, not only that, Paul writing to his protege, young pastor Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, he put it this way. He says, uh, and from childhood, you, Timothy, have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature or complete, equipped for every good work. So, so you should not expect your faith, faith to grow if you do not put yourself under the stream of God's word. Uh, whether that's uh, uh, in our gospel community groups when we get together and discuss the word or, or it's Sunday morning or it's your own time of, of just reading and, and meditating on memorizing the word, this is a means for God's grace in your life. The second thing is what we're doing now, but it's the people of God. Like we'll, we'll say this all the time. Uh, in our culture, it's, it's okay to have a personal private faith. It's just not okay to share that with anyone. But the Bible never describes faith that way. The, the Bible describes faith as intensely personal, never private. Intensely personal, never private. He intentionally uh, designs us and makes us and, and equips us and gifts us in such a way that we need each other. And, and so if we want our faith to grow, which is the most important thing about us, we, we have to surround ourselves with people that are different than us, that have different gifts than us, so that I can receive from them and they can receive from me. Like I said earlier, I need to hear you sing. It stirs my faith. I need to, to and, and you need to hear me sing. You need to hear the word preach. We need each other. So when I was on bungee jumping, I needed to see two guys go before me. I mean, I could have went, but I needed that in that moment. That stirred my faith on. And so when I see you exercise faith in areas that you're strong and I'm weak, I'm like, well, I, I think I can do that. I, I, I think I can, uh, if, if God is still there for that guy in, in that moment, uh, maybe he'll be there for me in that moment. And so we need each other. We should not expect our faith to grow apart from the people of God. Uh, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews was this uh, group of Jewish Christians who had, by faith, come to Christ and, again, tempted to, to turn their back on faith and, and just go after their own self-righteousness. But the author warns them. He says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of us of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Now he's talking about the whole church. This is a plural. Let us do this together. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, so the author of Hebrews says this. If you want your faith to last to your, to your last day, you cannot do that apart from the people of God. We, we need each other. We have gifts that are different for each other's benefit. Uh, my faith needs you. Your faith needs me. Ephesians 4 uh, puts it this way. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and 
of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what Paul is saying is, if you've actively trusted Christ, if you've received the Spirit, because that happens when you trust Christ as well, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. You are adopted sons and daughters of God. You are family of God. If all that happened, then it says the Holy Spirit has given you gifts for the edification of the person on your right and your left. The gift isn't for you, it's for us, and vice versa. Uh, and then finally, the, the, the third major way we can put ourselves under the stream of God's grace for our faith to sustain and to grow is, is simply the Spirit of God. Like the, the shy member of the Trinity. We, we shouldn't be shy about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to work in us the Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit, if, there, if there's anything good in your life, if there's anything that pleases God, it came from and through the Holy Spirit. And so we should actively engage the Holy Spirit, actively ask the Holy Spirit to, to make uh, his presence and power known in and through our lives. Romans 8 puts it like this. The whole of Romans 8 is just an amazing theology of the Holy Spirit. But Romans 8 says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So some of our faith is weak when it comes to our prayer life. Well, good news for you. The Holy Spirit's not weak. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He delights to uh, make Jesus known to you and through you. Verse 27, and he searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of, the, of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Do you hear the echo of Habakkuk 2.4? Wait for it. It's going to happen. God is working out all things for His glory and our good. So coming back to Habakkuk, are you... Uh, a puffed up person? Are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in Jesus? Now, now there's good news for you, even if you have your whole life up until this point trusted in yourself. There's an invitation to you to turn and trust in Jesus. And we would be happy to talk to you about that and pray with you about that. But maybe you, you're, you're living by faith and, and you're like the father in Mark 9. I believe, help my unbelief. Um, just have to understand this. It's the object of your faith, not the strength of your faith that matters. The object of your faith. So when Jesus says, if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. His point isn't that, that your faith has the power to move mountains. It's, it's, his point is that if it's in the right object, all things are possible. So, so we fly a lot over, over the biggest oceans, uh, to the Pacific and the Atlantic. And, and in so doing, we experience a lot of uh, turbulence along the way. Now, I like turbulence to a point. Like, that's fun to me. I'm not, not afraid of that kind of height. But my wife hates it. Like, she's, she's just had some terrible experiences, like, with little toddlers in the bathroom. And all of a sudden, she has to lay on the bath, that bathroom floor for like 20 minutes before the turbulence gets us. She hates it with a passion. And so when turbulence starts, she like, white, like rips into my skin and is like, ugh. And I'm like, yeah. My kids, uh, at first, they're kind of like, yeah, it's like uh, Disney World. And uh, so we're going. And um, 
But, but she has paseo faith. She steps on the plane. And guess what? When we land after a, a particularly terrible flight of all sorts of drops, and everything, guess what? We both arrive in the same destination. Because it's not the strength of my faith. Well, I, I, I enjoy this, so therefore I get to go to Texas. Well, no, that wouldn't be a blessing. Um, just kidding if you're from Texas. But I get to go to wherever, Hawaii, um, and you get to go to Chicago. But no, it's... It's the object of the faith. Like she put her faith in the plane, regardless of her experience along the ride of that faith. That's how a lot of us are going to get into heaven and be like white knuckling it the whole way. But if your trust is in Jesus, you arrive in the same destination. So there's good news for you. But uh, faith is also a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger your faith gets. And so the question I want to just close with here is, Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to you? Like, what area of your life right now, maybe you know 10 of them, but but what area of your life right now where Jesus is just quietly saying, trust me in this? Will you trust me in this? It's for that I want to pray for us. Because as as we step out in faith, our comfort zone gets a little bit wider. Faith grows. It gets strengthened. And and we need to grow our faith. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, we, we believe, and yet there's areas where we don't, so help our unbelief now. Lord, this week we're going to be tempted in countless ways to not believe that you are who you say you are, and you will accomplish all that you promise you will accomplish in our lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit in that moment would remind us of what faith is. It's confidence. It's assurance of the things hoped for. So Lord, for for each person here, as they uh, have ears to hear a Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show them that area where You're inviting them out on the water, inviting them to walk on water. Uh, That's scary. Lord, I pray that uh, this week you would just help them to to take that that step and that their faith they would see in the end is a little bit stronger. And if it it is strong in any way, shape, or form, Lord, we thank you for that because we know that it is a gift so that no one can boast. So, Lord, make us a humble people. Make us a faithful people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.